Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. At Trinity Grace Church, our mission is to help New Yorkers grow in love by practicing the way of Jesus for the good of our city. If you're interested in Trinity Grace Church Tribeca, check out our website at tgctribeca.com where you can learn more about us and learn about ways that you can help support our church and this podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to see and hear what's going on in our community. Thank you for joining us today and welcome grace and peace to you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and together teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will will shepherd the people of Israel. Then Herod called Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and, this, and, <clears throat> and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On the coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Gospel of our Lord. You can be seated. So before I offer my reflection on this Gospel, I want to uh, give us a moment to be quiet and uh, to create space to, to be attentive, to pay attention to what's going on in our lives, what we're bringing into this room, Um, how we're thinking, how we're feeling as we approach a new year, uh, how we are connecting with God right now, if at all. And I want us to to bring that to this moment and hold it there and pay attention Um, because it's in paying attention that we open our hearts for God to be at work in our lives. Um, So as best as you know how, with whatever you bring to the room, lots of faith, lots of doubt, just bring your full self to this moment and let's open our hearts to God together. God, we open our hearts to the possibility that we would commune with you 
and that we would connect with you, that we'd share a transcendent experience together in this city on a Sunday morning. That's why we're here week after week and we just lay our hearts bare before you. We ask for help, we ask for hope, we ask for challenge, comfort us where we need it and confront us where we need it. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm, uh, first of all, apologize if I have not shook your hand or gotten close to you to speak to you this morning. I've been very reclusive uh, because I'm sick. And I was up all night last night, and uh, this morning I found myself watching and re-watching uh, highlights of the Jordan flu game um, to sort of get uh, amped up for this moment. Um, Jordan, uh, Michael Jordan in game five famously against the Utah Jazz in the NBA Finals uh, showed up with the flu, and they gave him fluids, which I did not have. Um, and he went out and he scored 38 points and was iconically carried off the court by Scottie Pippen. Um, we do have a backup plan in case I need to run, run out of here, um, so don't worry about that. Um, but Jordan had 38 points on his flu game, and maybe I'll have 38 points in this sermon. I don't know. Um, but that would be quite long, and I'll try to spare you of that. So I'm just going to try to keep it to one. This morning, I'd like to talk about the sort of white-hot burning center of our church. I want to talk about why we exist I want to share with you what I tell people when they ask me, why did you move to this city and found a congregation in downtown Manhattan? And to do this, I'd like to give uh, an image, um, actually two images. Uh, the first is the image of the wind, and the second is the image of the sail, the wind and the sail. Why do we exist? Well, we can ask that at the human level. Why do we as human beings exist rather than not existing? Why does the universe exist rather than not existing? And unless some of you are afraid we're about to go into philosophy mode, uh, have no fear. Um, what I'd rather do is say that that deep question about humanity is tied intimately to why we exist as a church, to why the church exists. The thing about the question of why is that humanity is compelled forward to pursue it. We, we, are, we have so much energy and passion to figure out why we're here, who we are, what our purpose is, um, why is there beauty, why does it resonate with us, what is our place in this world. And science is wonderful. Science is, I'm a huge fan of science, and science is amazing because science can tell us what, and science can tell us how things work. But what science, and even the social sciences, cannot tell us is why? We know that the trees are green and we know how that works, but why are they green? We know that we operate in certain ways in relationship to our brain and our body and there's a chemical makeup, but we don't know why. It's that why question that haunts humanity and has for the entirety of human history. And I'd like to suggest this morning that that quest for life, that quest for meaning, that quest for significance is like the wind. It's the human spirit. And the human spirit is a powerful force in this world. It produces our greatest poetry, our greatest stories, and Christians do not corner the market on it. The human spirit is alive and well all around the world and across many traditions. In Dead Poet Society, John Keating says this. He says, we don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and we write poetry 
because we're members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. And medicine and law and business and engineering, these are noble pursuits. They are necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. I love that idea. Last week, Tyler Schwartz preached, and he talked about purpose of life as enjoyment, of resonance, of offering praise to God in the same way that a a tuning fork sort of resonates with a particular uh, um, frequency. And what I want to suggest this morning is that the reason we exist is to take that powerful wind of the human spirit and harness it and guide it so that we can be on a journey together that matters. So that we can discover those things that our heart longs for together and so we can do so attached to something, tethered to something, and not just free-floating. In 2017, there was a Pew Research uh, project that went out, and uh, the question was asked, do you consider yourself, American, religious and spiritual, religious and not spiritual, or spiritual and not religious? And what was interesting is from 2012 to 2017, in just a five-year span of the last decade, The number of people who said they were spiritual and not religious went up from 19% in 2012 to 27%, more than a quarter of the population in 2017. And I, I would bet that we can say that trend is continuing strong. Right now, over a quarter of the population, at least, is looking at life and is saying, I am deeply spiritual. I am connected to meaning. I am connected. I want to have a deep, substantial life. I want to go to museums, and I want to go out in nature and hike and see and be in awe, and I want to contribute in a way that matters and pursue justice. Like, there is this quest of the human spirit that feels deeply spiritual. But the, the sail, the sail that, you know, has sort of harnessed that wind over the years that we know as religion has often failed people. It's been looked to now with great criticism, with great skepticism, and with good reason. It's almost like religion is a glove that just doesn't fit anymore. Or it's like a product that we know people are kind of into, but we just are not drawn to it in the least bit. That is the growing culture of our world, especially in the U.S. And it's that environment that I think gives us a sense of why we exist. Um, I think there's a lot that is toxic about religion. And I also think there's a lot that's toxic about a spirituality that's untethered. When you talk about the relationship between spirituality and religion, we're talking about the relationship between the wind and the sail. Spirituality is on the rise, but for religion, it's just not working for many people. Why? For most people, religion feels too exclusive. It feels like there's always an us and them. That we're always, in order to create a tribe, we're having to push people out and draw lines that seem somewhat arbitrary. It can often be very rigid. And uh, I think a lot of us don't have a stomach in a consumer era for uh, standards put on us or rails, guardrails that define a path. We, 
we sort of have FOMO and we wait to the last minute to make so many decisions that when someone tells us, no, here's the path and it's well trod, you walk that path, something in us sort of recoils. We're often suspicious of the cult of personality. I mean, literal cults, right, that uh, have done damage to people's lives that resulting in death in many cases, or just the, the way that religion has take, taken a, a sort of consumer form. And uh, church is designed so that the pastor is sort of like has limited access and the pastor is a celebrity and the church is a market. And we borrowed from the liturgy of the rock concert. We borrowed from the liturgy of the club and the shopping mall. And we created this sort of movement we know as the church growth movement. A lot of people are skeptical of that. People often look to, to religion as controlling or manipulative. People look to it as form with no life. Right? Like a, a, a structure that doesn't have a substantial content. They look at it as anti-intellectual. They look at it as hypocritical. And often people look at religion, institutional religion, as centripetal. It's just, it has this inertia to it. it, it it's focused on self-preservation. It's not really making a big impact in the world. It's one of the reasons people often can't stand this tax-exempt status of religious institutions. Because they're like, they're not even contributing to the things that make our life work. And so people are often rightly skeptical of religion. But what about an untethered spirituality? What does that lack? Often it lacks a connection with others. I mean, it doesn't always lack that. But when we think of our lives as spiritual, we think of our own journeys, spiritual journeys, it doesn't demand connection necessarily. We often find ourselves taking walks by ourselves, or going to museums by ourselves. We think of the spiritual path as, an, as a sort of me journey rather than an us journey. And I think an untethered spirituality often misses out on that great communal element. So much so that even the new atheism started doing new atheism churches um, because people missed the connection that they had through their church experience. Often, it's disconnected from wisdom in the past. We sort of uh, just respond and riff to the things we happen to come across. You all know the, the experience of going to a bookstore and just wandering around and finding a book and thinking, hey, that's interesting, I'll grab that. And then that sort of gets your attention for a time. And then you hear a conversation and then that gets your attention for the time. And listen, there's something beautiful about the spontaneity of our spiritual journey. But an untethered spirituality often feels like it, it's not going anywhere. And it's often disconnected from a meaningful connection to the past. Often, there's little space for challenge or for like calling us to reality. Um, who are the people in our lives, because of our spirituality, who can say, you know, what about this? Ask us good questions. Why, why do you think you do that? Why do you think that? Like, what space exists in people's lives where good questions can be asked and challenge can exist, and truth can be spoken to power. It often also lacks an outward focus. Um, you remember James uh, in, in the New Testament is talking to the church, and he's like, hey, we have a problem here because people's religion is neglecting something very important. And he says, let me tell you what true religion is. It's to care for the widow, and it's to care for the orphan. James was like, don't give me your religion that isn't making a difference. It's not having an impact. And often, the spirituality that's untethered is just, it's, it's about me. It's about my enrichment. It's about my personal growth. 
and it's not as much about impact in the world. It often lacks personal guidance. Um, we, we lack our gurus. You know, we can find them out here or there. We have distant mentors through books. But who are people that occupy a place in our lives who offer guidance? Not that they're right about everything, not that they like, have this weird authority over us, but that they truly are guides who have spent a lot of time and energy honing a craft and are sharing that craft with us. In short, our spirituality, when it's untethered, sort of gets overridden by consumerism and by individualism. And so our church exists, our why, is to sort of bridge those two gaps. I, I want to share with you this morning that I think our church should be a beautiful hybrid of a vibrant spirituality and the accoutrements of religion. I hear in evangelical circles all the time, even some of the churches I grew up in, people say all the time, hey, listen, it's, about, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And I just want to be like, that's so much BS. Because what is religion? What do we, where did we hear that? We heard that in a building that was paid for by a congregation that had an operating budget, that had a staff, that had stories and texts and rituals and symbols. Like, we heard that in a religious environment. Now, I get the point. The point is that often what we associate with religion is sort of like dead form uh, or rules or obligations or guilt and burden, and I get that. But don't throw religion out. What we want is healthy religion. We want religion and spirituality to be wed at the hip. We don't want to get rid of our stories. We don't want to get rid of our themes. We don't want to get rid of our great practices um, that are in ceremonies that, that infuse our lives with meaning. But at the same time, we don't want to be bound by them in a copy and paste kind of way. That's what I love about our church. Our church is connected to the past intentionally. Like so much of what we do is connected to the Christian tradition. But we're always asking the why question. Why was this practice begun in the first place? And how much of it just reflects its own cultural moment? And how much of it is truly enduring? Or what can we take and repurpose or tweak or experiment with? We're constantly doing that. And I love being a part of a community that looks to the past with a sense of respect but at the same time is willing to bring the questions and the problems of the modern age to it and say, what new forms could this take? What new shape could this take? What new resonance could this have? We often are, are known as a front door back to our church. And what do I mean by that? In our congregation, I would say over the last five years, one of the themes we've seen across the church through feedback and stories and when I sit with you for coffee is that there's two dominant experiences. We have a substantial amount of people who call this church home, who don't have much of a religious background, um, or they kind of walked away from it a while back, and they come to the church as a sort of front door experience. And usually it's through a relationship with someone that they love, a friend or a lover, literally. Um, and they come, and over time, they find a resonance here. And I know many of you who still aren't comfortable identifying as a Christian, but you still call this church home. And I think that matters. I think that's a unique space that we occupy. Part of that's because we try to live according to love. We don't try to force anything on anyone or coerce anyone. I mean, you come to church, and it's church, right? But it's, we try to make it accessible. We try to explain what's going on here. Why do we do this? What's, what is this that we're carrying on? So... Many of you have come here for the first time, and you haven't had any faith background. But then there's a, a large number of you also 
who we were your last stop on the way out. We uh, basically, you had, you had been burned through your religious experience. And listen, I, I don't like to throw the church under the bus because I think the church is messed up because humans are a part of it and humans are messed up. And so really you can't look to any institution that doesn't have flaw or failure. I just want to normalize that. And I'm not going to promise that our church is perfect or that you won't get burned here. But what I do know is that the moments that we do get burned matter. And sometimes it, it, the volume of that pain is so loud that we can't occupy that space any longer. And many of you were left reeling, like, what do I do? Where do I go? There are things I love about my faith, but there are things in my religious experience that I just, like, cannot tolerate anymore or I cannot make space for in my life anymore. So you were on your way out, and somebody referred you to us. And you came, and you experienced a haven. You experienced a respite. You experienced um, something that was different. And when it comes to our why as a church, I think that front door, back door identity is really important. Like we want to take the wind of the human spirit and we want to put up a sail and we want to keep tweaking that sail to see how can we get resonance, how can we go on a journey that matters in this time, in this moment. And you're here in some sense because you want to be on that journey. You don't just want to be on that journey by yourself, you want to be on that journey with other people. And something about the sail that we're throwing up resonates. And so I want to share with you over the next coming weeks the nature of that sail. Like, what is the sail that we're throwing up? And what resonates about it in your life? And how can we sort of come to an understanding together of who we are and where we're going? To connect it to our text, um, I love this text so much, the story of the Magi. The Magi are on a journey. They see a star in the sky. And what I love about this is that the our own story is telling it in such a way that it's assuming that this quest is universal. Like, it's not just the people of Israel, the Hebrew people who worship Yahweh, who are searching for God and searching for transcendence. Right? People beyond the tribe are searching. And they're featured prominently at the beginning of our story. The outsiders get it, and the insiders are lost. And I think there's something powerful about that in this moment that we live today. I'm finding so much beauty outside of the church, and I'm just being honest. My experience, and frankly, our, our context in New York, exposes us to so much diversity and beauty. And sometimes if we're told that our religion has the corner on truth and the corner on beauty and the corner on everything, and then we start to see bits and pieces of things that resonate beyond it, we're confused, and we're like, well, wait, what do we do with that? And a lot of people throw away their religion because of that. And what we're trying to forge is a, a sense of a sail that gives room for other, other sails and other stories like our gospel does. Our gospel says people threw up a sail and they went on a journey to Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, guess what happened? They found something profound and they found something beautiful. The, the tradition and the faith story of Israel overlapped with the people from the east. And you know what our story doesn't do? It doesn't say, and... The people from the east converted and became Jewish followers of Jewish. Or it doesn't say they converted and became Christians. It doesn't say uh, rebuke them and say, oh, they went away not changing one bit. And so shame on them. No, the story just with wonder and curiosity says, how about that? Somebody on the outside had an epiphany. Somebody on the outside had an experience of God that overlapped in a meaningful way with our tradition and our tribe. And we're left in awe going, well, who is this God? that we're dealing with? And what is this quest in this journey 
that we're on. The Magi come and they offer gifts to Jesus. And then the Holy Family, they receive those gifts. And that's what Epiphany is about. And over the coming weeks, I want to talk about what I think are the gifts that our church offers our city and what I think the space we create to receive the gifts of this city. Jesus didn't grow up just uh, spiritual and untethered. And he didn't grow up dead and religious either. Um, Jesus, when he gave a purpose statement, I mean, he gave several, but one of my favorites is he said, I've come that you would have life and that you'd have it abundantly. That's the white hot burning center of the church, is that you would live a life that's abundant, that's full of joy, that's full of meaning, that can process the complexity of this life, can account for the beauty of this world, and can give you guidance for all the pain and challenge that we face so that you can know healing and you can know love. That's why we exist, for life. And Jesus didn't just pursue life untethered. I mean, he was raised in a family that told him the stories and retold him the stories. The song, the lullaby Mary sang over him was a revolutionary song about how kingdoms and rulers are overthrown when God comes in town. So Jesus was the product of parents who loved and formed and nurtured him and yet he had this like beautiful life and spontaneity where he could say you know you've heard it said but I say you've heard it said but I say and he was looking for areas of reform people who represented the religious center who had a lot of power at stake in that he often confronted them and say you're doing it all wrong he would be on the side of the people who said I can't handle religion He's like, no, you're a bunch of hypocrites. But he didn't throw religion out the window. Jesus continued to give form and to give instruction and teaching and created a community that had an identity around him. And so for Jesus, we see this convergence of spirituality and the the stories and the symbols and the practices that we call religion. That's why we exist. We want to take your beautiful spirit which is on the quest. And we want to throw up a sail and we want to go on a journey together that's unashamedly shaped by the tradition rooted in Jesus and yet is open to the world that we're living in and willing to ask the hard questions and willing to take the risks of experimentation. I'm so fascinated by the question, what will the shape of 21st century spirituality take? And I think We are the kind of community that's positioned to not only discover that, but also to to take our experience and pass it on and amplify it to the church at large and say, well, here's what we're learning and here's what we're finding and here's what we're seeing. That's what I'd love us to be as a church. And I hope you'll be on that journey with us and contribute meaningfully to it. So I'd like to close us in prayer. God, we pray uh, that we'd not lose sight of that sort of white, hot, burning center of life. But not life untethered, life that's informed and shaped by people who've lived great lives before us. The best sense of a tradition. The best sense of religion. And God, I pray for our community that there'd be a vibrance here, there'd be just a sense of life that's teeming. There'd be an excitement and an enthusiasm for the road that lies ahead. And uh, that we'd be excited about what's possible because we gather together 
to connect with each other and to connect with God and to make an impact on our world. Give us the grace that we need. Continue to give us vision for the space that we occupy uniquely. And maybe we'd be tethered to love in all of it. We pray that in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.